Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. We love to stand, we love to honour people and honour our pastors in this place. Let's honour Pastor Ross as he comes to share the word this morning. Thank you, thank you. Wow, it's so good to be in church. It's the first of May, it doesn't feel like nearly winter yet, does it? No, it will come, they say. It's great to be together. I've been over at Kids Church and preached, so this is my fourth preach for the morning. But it's great to share the good news and great to have Dan and uh, the team over there doing an amazing job. Let's give a hand for all our kids leaders and workers. <clears throat> so exciting to see children and young people hungry for God. It really, really is. And let's open our hearts for the Word of God right now. Lord, I just thank you that you will speak so clearly into our lives. A word of encouragement, of instruction of hope for now and the future. Lord, I thank you for this word that you put on my heart. Lord, help me to deliver it with your grace and your authority. I just thank you for touching all of our lives now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Give someone a high five and take our seats. God bless you. Great to have you in church. Welcome. God is so good. I want to share a story. I love stories. I just told a story to the kids, the prodigal son story. I want to share now one of Jesus' stories because we've been on a theme now for the last few weeks for this term of harvest and fruitfulness. Today, I want to speak out of this amazing story of Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the, the man on the mat was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed men, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Uh Uh-oh, we'll stop there for a minute. Sometimes we think we can uh, do bargains with God and make excuses. God knows everything we're even thinking, not alone saying. He could hear what they were saying in their hearts and their minds. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, Take your mat and go home. He got up, took the mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, We have never seen anything like this. Oh, what a day. What an amazing day. Here the place is crowded. They can't get in. Homes full, overflowing outside. They're listening through the windows. And we see this incredible story of the man being healed. So I wonder what amazed them. Was it 
the man coming down through the roof. That would have been quite amazing. That didn't happen every day. Or the paralyzed man being forgiven. Or him getting carried in and then walking out healed. And I'm sure he was pretty excited. Wow, they were just so, so amazed at this incredible miracle. There's probably one person in the building that was probably trying to work out and saw it a bit differently. Imagine that you were the owner of the house. We don't think about this. We think, well, what an awesome story. The Bible commentators say it may have been Peter's home. So I wonder how Mrs. Peter was. All excited. Wow, Jesus is in our house and we've got all this crowd of people. And then she feels something land on and think, what's that? Bit of dust coming from the roof. They're all packed in. She looks up and to her horror, there's not just a few little specks. Now there's whole tiles being ripped off and a big hole in her roof. I wonder if she was excited initially. She probably was okay at the end of the day, hoping their insurance was current because their roof got wrecked. Let me tell you, when Jesus comes into town, when he comes into your life or home, things are never the same. Let's have a little look at this story with some fresh eyes. This week I was reading through the Word for the Day devotion and they happened to be on this story for a couple of days and they talked about what does being paralyzed mean? Many are paralyzed. Not many physically, thankfully, but few are. But many people are paralyzed in life. Some people have to be carried to Jesus because they can't get to him by themselves. Paralyzed by what? Maybe an out-of-control behavior that so destroys their world that they can't even imagine a God that might love them and they don't feel worthy enough to even come and try. Maybe they're paralyzed by a belief system that tells you you're too sinful for God to ever love and save you. It's probably thousands of those people in our community today. Or maybe they're paralyzed by the memory of something that happened in their childhood and now you're afraid to talk about it. How many of us have scars and memories and broken things in our childhood that we are hesitant or fearful or so afraid because we don't want to be judged and we don't want to go over the pain again. So we keep it all locked up and live paralyzed in some areas of our soul or our relationships. Some are paralyzed by addiction to illegal substances, prescription drugs, gambling, pornography, alcohol, work or even money can control and paralyze our lives. Some are paralyzed by fear, by anxiety, by depression, by a very low self-esteem, or the crippling pain of childhood neglect and abuse. That paralyzes a whole lot of people. And some of us have been paralyzed, and maybe you still are in some areas of your soul. When you're paralyzed, you need someone to help carry you to Jesus or to help get you to the place of healing and hope. These four guys carried their friend. Some may be paralyzed by success. 
by materialism, by greed, or being a self-made, self-sufficient person. That's a very subtle form of paralysis because you don't think you need help, but you desperately do. Whatever your addiction or stronghold, it can be paralyzing, but Jesus can heal, forgive, and set you free. Oh, thank God for that. Luke 4.18 reminds us, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Thank God that there's an anointing from Jesus to set us free. But thank God that same anointing was not only on Jesus, he passed it on to us. He said, I send you into the world to bring hope, truth, love, a safe place, and to help carry people into the presence of Jesus. It it might mean inviting them to church. It might mean inviting them into your home. It might mean sowing a seed in the school car park with someone who's devastated and broken. It might mean praying for someone and contacting them every day or second day until they come into a place of knowing that they're free. There's all sorts of ways that we can carry people. Let's have a look at these four guys. Each one of those four guys had a very important part. The amazing thing is we don't know their names. There's a whole lot of people that serve Jesus that Their names are never up in lights. But one day in eternity, we'll receive our reward. And we'll also have the joy of meeting all these people that you may be helped carry directly or indirectly into the presence of Jesus. Wow. Wow, what a day to look forward to. We need to have an eternal perspective, not just a here and now. But think about these four guys. They were actually very important, actually essential for their friend to meet Jesus and to be forgiven and healed. Your role might seem insignificant or it may be very obvious and significant. Probably one of the guys must have heard about Jesus, maybe had even heard Jesus preach and seen miracles and they had this friend. One of them probably got the idea. said, hey, why don't we get our friend... To Jesus, because maybe Jesus can heal him. We don't know how long he'd been paralyzed, but it obviously was for a significant time. The guy realized that he couldn't do it on his own. He may have lived several kilometers away. They didn't have cars and taxis. So it was a big challenge to get him to the home to meet Jesus. So he got a few of his friends. And they got this idea thinking, why don't we carry him there? And the guy thought, well, if I carry him on my own, I'm not going to make it. It's too heavy. And I might drop him and injure him more. If you've ever tried to carry a stretcher, one person just doesn't work. Two people, you can do it one each end, but it gets heavy. But if you get one on each corner, you can go for kilometers. Have a little break, swap arms, and you can, you can make it. You can carry someone for kilometers to get them into the presence of Jesus. So these four guys decided to carry the load. 
to carry the burden. If one of them would have dropped out, the guy mightn't have made it because the other guys might have got too tired and he mightn't have made it to meet, meet Jesus. I want to tell you, all of us are very important, whether you've got a significant or an insignificant load that you might carry in helping bring people to Jesus, discipling someone, caring for someone, praying for someone, ministering healing and counseling into someone's broken soul. Thank God these four guys didn't give up and they carried this guy. They carried him, supported each other, worked together. It's interesting to know Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, not on your own. Sometimes we get worn out in ministry and serving because we do too much on our own. We need to have support, teams, work together to help people. This, and then Jesus, it says, when he saw them, it says he saw their faith. I love that. Doesn't even talk about the faith of the man, the paralyzed man. We're not even sure if he had any faith in Jesus. He might have been not even real keen to go. You thought about this? When you're really sick and paralyzed, you, you're embarrassed, you don't want to be seen like that. He mightn't have wanted to go. But one of them had enough faith and said, Come on. They might have had to strap him on to the stretcher to get him there because he didn't want to go. But however he got there, they got him there. It was their faith that Jesus saw. Not the faith of the man on the paralyzed man. And there are a whole lot of people that have little or no faith that God can use your faith to carry someone into the presence of Jesus. To, to sow some hope into their heart. To get them to that counseling session. To get them to church. To, to get them into your home group. To have a meal together. And all of a sudden some hope, a place of life can start to go into them. And they start to come into their paralyzed place of sin and destruction over their body or soul or spirit. Jesus said he saw their faith. There's no mention of the faith of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Uh-oh. They didn't have faith. They had judgment. They got in a big argument with Jesus <coughs> about, you can't forgive sins, only God can do that. So these guys are pointing the finger and judging. And here's the guy being lowered down in the stretcher in front of them. And I just think, how crazy is that? They're busy judging someone who's about to get healed and released. And Jesus had to go past their stuff, challenge their thinking. And we think, what a bunch of hypocrites. What a bunch of losers trying to stop someone getting healed. And then I thought, uh-oh, I have to regularly examine my heart to make sure I'm not judging others that Jesus might be trying to reach. We all wrestle in some ways at times. The person who speaks different, dresses different, has a different mindset, different nationality. I know when the transformations ministry started, there was a few people said, oh, I don't know about this. They got tattoos all over them. Some are actually on parole from prison. Is this safe? We had to have a few conversations with a few people and we had to make sure as leaders that, hey, we're helping carry people to Jesus and we cannot be 
the religious people pointing the fingers and keeping away from Jesus, which the religious people do. We, we all can fall into that so easily. Just be really careful. Let's be the ones who carry people to Jesus. Don't start pointing the finger. Because the longer you're saved, the easier it is to get distant from that and become judgmental. We get comfortable in our faith. We get comfortable in our theology. And Jesus loves to break that open. So he does this, forgives his sins, and then heals him to prove he can forgive his sins. Wow. Blew him out of the water. God, help us. Help us not to get judgmental. Let us be wise. Let us be sensible. Don't be ripped off unnecessarily. We've got to learn to walk together with the Spirit of God. But I believe we need to be carriers of people into the presence of God. This man's faith, if he had any, was probably long dead from his paralyzed state. That's not a problem to God. He'll respond to your faith. When you pick up the weight of another person, it can be a heavy burden. Sometimes you have to call in reinforcements to pray or support you. Matthew 18, 9 and 20 says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. One of the versions says, there I am with them. The great I am. Wow. The place of agreement and oneness is a place of power and authority. I want to share a story with you today connected with this story about being a carrier of people to Jesus. We had Reggie Dabbs here on Thursday night. I've heard Reggie preach quite a few times at Planet Shakers and at different high school outreach events. But I had opportunity to spend a little bit of time talking to him over supper and after he preached. And I don't know him well, but we've met each other a few times. And he started to tell me, I, I talked with him and said, how, how did you start to get into evangelism and high school ministry? Because he travels all over the world. He's traveled over 5 million kilometers around this planet. It's one of the most frequent flying men in the world because he just can't help but share Jesus. He's preaches to over a million people live every year, plus the millions of others that see him on TV or DVDs because he loves to see people saved. He comes to Harvey Bay every year, and that's a, a miracle of God's grace. And he told me the story of how God really started to get a hold of his heart. And he came from a terrible, broken background. He was the son of a prostitute, had no family, didn't know his parents. Thankfully, a couple fostered him and they had some Christian faith and sowed some seeds into his life. And he tells the story that when he was 12... They went to the huge big football stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee. Seats 115,000 people, bigger than the Olympic stadiums. And they opened up the ground because there was a guy called Billy Graham coming to preach. So they had people sitting on the grass. There was 150,000 at, at least in that stadium that day. Billy, um, and Reggie Dabbs was only 12 his foster parents took him. They ended up in the, right up in the 
the back bleachers way up the top, the nosebleed section, you know, you sort of get vertigo up there. It's, it's that high up when you're in a big stadium like that. And Reggie was just a wide-eyed 12-year-old boy. And next minute, all these cavalcade of big limousines come in and all the police escort. And he says, who's that? And he looked and saw it was the President of the United States at that time came not to do a public rally but to introduce Billy Graham to preach. And Reggie thought, wow, that was Jimmy Carter back then. And he thought, wow, fancy a president coming to introduce the preacher. Reggie was thinking, wow, this guy must be important. And then they had the singing and then Billy Graham started to preach, for God so loved the world, that includes you. And how that he's come to forgive sin and give hope eternal. And Reggie's listening. Next minute he hears growing men crying around him. And then Billy Graham gives the older call and they start to sing just as I am without one plea. And he said the sound as thousands of people got up out of their seats and started to walk then run down the stands, the metal stairs. And as they ran, he said it was like a thunder of thousands of people as they ran down to the front to give their lives to Jesus. And he, he wept. He thought there's something powerful happening. And to the amazing truth, this, the foster dad looked at Reggie and said, prophetically, one day this will be you. And something grabbed his heart. And over the years, God started to prepare him through a broken nobody. Something happened. And I didn't know this story but the first time I heard Reggie Dabbs, and you've heard me say this from the pulpit, he's like a modern-day Billy Graham reaching the schools of the world. I didn't know this connection until Thursday night this week. But that's how I saw him. He had that anointing to grab hundreds and thousands of young people and hold their attention. The schools are amazed how he can hold this crowd of people who have never been in church in their life, and he could just speak truth. And next minute, by the end, they're crying and they're responding to Jesus. I saw it again on Thursday night. There's over 100 went out the door to give their names and I just thought, Lord, Lord, you're amazing. You're amazing. You're reaching hope to paralyze young people in our city that have never heard that anyone truly loves them and can forgive them and make hope. I'm going to pray right now for those that respond to that God will establish them. Father, all those young people, those 110 that responded, I pray, Jesus, they will never forget what they heard and what was planted in their heart. Some were crying and really experiencing your forgiveness and hope. Others went just because their friends were. Because, but God, I pray that you would protect the seed and they would grow and you'd link them to chaplains and pastors and youth groups and churches and f- Christian friends. God, that they would be saved by your spirit and grow in your kingdom. And there will be others will arise like Reggie Dabbs that will reach their generation in Jesus' name. Oh God. And so the story goes on. And then Reggie told me another story that linked to this, and I'd never heard this before, about how Billy Graham got saved. And I'd read some of the stories, and there was different evangelists back about five generations, and a Sunday school teacher chased after a guy and prayed for him, this little kid, didn't want to know God, and ended up leading him to Jesus. And he became an evangelist. And then after about five different generations of preachers, Billy Graham got saved through Mordecai Ham, who was a 
an amazing evangelist in the early 1900s through to about 1940s. I read some of his story last night. I'd never read about Mordecai Ham. He was a man of God. He was almost killed so many times. He was dragged behind cars. He was run over. He was shot at. He's had people regularly would come down the aisle to shoot him and he would just point the finger and say, in Jesus' name, most of them would fall down the ground, lose their guns. Some dropped dead in his presence as he spoke the name of Jesus. That happened more than once. Very powerful story because they tried to kill him because he won over 300,000 people to Jesus out of darkness most of them were the worst he would go into some cities and say god who's the worst sinner here and he would go and win him to jesus and then the city would open up that's why he was nearly killed so many he would go to the worst of the worst and he'd find out who they were and he would find them and people would punch him up and beat him up but he would just speak the name of jesus and many of them would fall down on their knees and then they would be saved and then the city would open up that's the sort of guy he was when he preached the paint would come off the walls at the back he would preach love, but he would preach about sin and judgment of God. Anyway, Billy Graham was 16. They were walking down a street one day, and they saw this thousands of people going into this big building. Oh, wow, what's going on there? So being curious, teenagers, they went in. When they get in there, they couldn't find a seat. It was just jam-packed. It was a great big auditorium in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they were walking out when, thank God, an usher or a frontline team person saw them and said, young men, come with me. I know where I can find some seats for you. He was one of the stretcher bearers. If he hadn't been there and been alert, they might never have come back. Don't ever forget how powerful your words or your awareness and your care might be. He took them to the only two seats that were left, and guess where they were? Right in the front row. 5,000 people. So Billy Graham and his mate are sitting there just stunned at everything that happened, and this guy preaching with such power and authority, and they were just... They could feel something happening, but they didn't respond to Jesus that night because it was just so... just something way out there. But the next night, they came back. They got there a bit earlier this time. They didn't want to be in the front row. So they snuck in to the back of the choir and sat in the choir stand so they could be hidden. They didn't want to be seen. <laughs> but something was drawing them because they felt the love and power of God in that place. So there they are, hiding in the choir stands amongst behind the choir. And Mordecai Ham was preaching powerfully people were getting saved all around him it seemed the only safe place from the evangelist's powerful words was in the choir so Grady Wilson and him they sat right up the back the evangelist's first words when he got up that second night were there's a great sinner in this place tonight Billy thought mother's been telling him about me That's how conviction works, eh? Billy turned to Grady and said, let's go. Not to run out. They ran to the front and gave their hearts to Jesus. And Billy Graham became the most renowned evangelist 
in history. There were 6,400 people saved in that series of meetings with Mordecai Ham. But Billy Graham went on, some say preaching up to 2.2 billion people in his lifetime. Personally or through his films and TV and radio. I share those two stories because I just think, God, your love is amazing. But there are a whole pile of people in all of those journeys that were stretcher bearers carrying someone who was paralyzed by sin into a place where they could meet Jesus. And years later, Reggie Dabbs hears Billy Graham speak and the seeds planted for him to become an evangelist and he travels the world. And every time I get around these people, my heart is so moved. And I just weep because I feel God's love for the lost people. I thought, Lord, we become so comfortable in our Christian life. We become so settled in the blessings that actually can blind us to the brokenness all around us. And I don't class myself as an evangelist. I'm a pastor that does the work of an evangelist when there's opportunity. I know an evangelist when I see one because they just ooze faith and love and there's a boldness and a fire and a determination. They just never give up. But I thought, Lord... Help us to be filled with your love. Help us not to give up that we will become stretcher bearers of paralyzed people to meet Jesus. Because that's how revival breaks out. That's how the kingdom of God is released as you and I all do our part. The third point as I wrap it up today, they just didn't give up perseverance. They got there. This is back to the story now. The place is jam-packed. I reckon there was one or two of them say, oh, come on, whose idea was this? We carried this guy all this way and now we can't get in. Let's go home. But at least one of them said, no, there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. And then I don't know how, but they got the idea. Because in those days, the Middle Eastern homes had... A flat roof because it was so hot they'd often have meals or up there on, and there was an outside stairway up to the roof so they carried him up there. Carrying a stretcher upstairs is not easy without him falling off. Just think about all this. They get up there and then they start pulling the roof apart. They obviously didn't come with any building tools so they're doing it by their hands. They hadn't read any manual on how to pull the roof off to get the guy in to, to see Jesus. This was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, if you don't give up, God will give you creative ways to reach and touch people's broken lives. So they pull the roof off. They lower him down. It took effort. It was hard work. It was risky. Lowering him down, he could have slipped and hurt himself worse or killed him. Or worse still, lowered him down, he slipped and hit, landed on Jesus. That would have been... <laughs> Whoa! Sorry, i got a crazy sense of humor sometimes, but it could have happened. Because <laughs> remember, the place was jammed, so there was no place to put him on the ground. He would have been hanging in midair in front of Jesus. 
the guys are up there holding the rope and someone say, come on, Jesus, do something quick. I'm getting tired here. We read these stories and don't think about all the logistics that were actually happening. And then the Pharisees come in and Jesus is having a debate with them and the guys say, come on, Jesus, we're getting tired up here. <laughs> and then he gets healed. Picks up his mat. And the guy said, thank God we don't have to carry him back home. (laughs) We sanctify these stories, but let's be real about it. Jesus healed him. Set him free. I want to say, don't give up. You've been trying to reach someone and they've been saying no. Maybe it just wasn't right time. Maybe they weren't, their circumstances have now changed. Or maybe you weren't doing it the best way, but you've learned a better way now. Oh, Jesus, help us to be carriers, stretcher bearers for the kingdom of God. You need to persevere. What does it take to get Jesus' attention? Zacchaeus climbed up a tree. This guy was lowered down in a stretcher in front of Jesus in a crowded room. The blind man cried out from the road, have mercy on me. How much are we prepared to cry out to Jesus and what are we prepared to do to help bring people into his kingdom? Or are we going to think, well, that's a bit too hard or that's a bit embarrassing or that's a little bit out there. God's stirring some of us to not give up but to reach out with a whole greater measure than we've ever done before. Oh, Jesus. You need tenacious faith and unwavering love that refuses to quit. When we do our part, God will do his part. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, Always excelling in the work of the Lord. Always doing your best and doing more than is needed. Being continually aware that your labor, even to the point of exhaustion in the Lord, is not futile or wasted. It is never without purpose. Oh, Jesus, how often do we give up when it gets a little bit harder or we get a little bit tired? I've found some of the greatest breakthroughs some of the greatest miracles, some of the greatest joys of transforming life is when I've gone beyond what I thought I could do. I've traveled across India and been in missions places where everything in my flesh is saying, this is crazy, this is hard, this is, I know I can do this. I've got up sometimes and preached so sick, but I've refused to give up. And sometimes God breaks through when you're still wrestling with your things that have paralyzed your soul but you reach out to someone else that's paralyzed with their sin and brokenness and don't have any hope when you go past those levels of comfort God shows up you can't live like that all the time because you'll die of exhaustion I'm not talking about that every day but we get so comfortable and so settled that we we just don't go beyond what God can do. I've been to four funerals in the last two weeks. 
Some have been amazing celebrations. Some have been challenging. But every time I go to a funeral, I'm reminded we're all only one heartbeat away from eternity. And our times are in His hands. And Lord, I want my life to count. My son Stephen rang me the other day. And his opening line was, because he'd just visited someone who'd... Danny Guglielmucci's son, Chris Guglielmucci, that died from the lightning strike a few months. He was just spent a day and a night with his wife and four kids because he's really good friends with them. He rings me and says, Dad, do you ever think about dying? Saying, what sort of a loaded question is that? I said, well, not very often, but I've been to a few funerals lately, and I do, not a lot, but I do think of eternity, and I do think about, is my life counting and what they might say when I die? Those thoughts do cross my mind from time on, but I said, I don't think about two of them because I've got so much to do between now and then, but it does motivate me. Not out of fear, but out of love. I just feel his compassion right now drawing our hearts. Some of us aren't well physically, but we can still serve Jesus. I'll never forget Tommy Evans. He was blind and he was still out planting churches. He'd get someone to lead him house to house to win people to Jesus in their homes. And he was blind, but he'd been a missionary and a church planner. He says, I will keep going until the day I died. 93, he died. But he was still planting a church in his 90s and he could not see. I thought, God, what excuses have I got? Father, fill me with love. Help me to be a carrier. Help me to carry paralyzed people to you, Jesus. I don't share that to condemn us, but I share from my heart today because... I've realized I've been stirred again after Reggie Dab's story and I thought, Lord, help me not to miss that person that I've walked past. Help me not to miss that one that's walked into church and not sure where they fit. Have I connected and made them feel safe? That passing comment in the school car park, was that a divine opportunity I could have sowed into? Don't condemn yourself but say, Lord... I'm going to be available to be a stretcher carrier for you. Let's stand in his presence. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.